have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to take a little detour from our first Timothy series that we started last week. And we're going to talk about the topic of prayer. So we're actually just going to look at one verse. So if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I will read that out, and we'll dive into this. This is the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's pray together as we dive into God's Word. Our Father, we thank you for your instructions to us and your Word. It is holy and inspired. These are your words to us, to your people, to instruct us, to guide us, to bind us, to be authoritative over every aspect of our lives. Lord, we want to submit ourselves under the word, knowing that it is good and true and right. Help us to see the value of prayer and exhort us as a church to be a church devoted to prayer. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Acts is about the birth of the church. You have this amazing opening where Jesus Christ, after he ascends, gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Spirit of God is poured out in Jerusalem over this new creation called the church. And after this powerful explosion of God's power, we see that the three things the church immediately begins to do that mark the life of the church, that, that's the bread and butter, the, the core foundation of what we do when we do church, are these three things. The apostolic teaching, which is contained in the Word of God for us. So the Word of God, the study of true doctrine, the apostolic faith, the breaking of bread, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper, and prayer. The word, the sacrament, and prayer. Those are the three building blocks and essentials of what a church is about, all the way from its very beginning. It was instinctual for these early Christians to do those three things. And we're not just to do those things, but remember the verb there. They were devoted they were devoted to these three things. There was a consistent, disciplined emphasis on the teaching and study of God's Word, the observance, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. But don't just note the verb devoted, but note the pronoun. They. They, as a group, as a corporate group of Christians, as a gathering, an assembly, that's what the Greek word for church, ekklesia, means an assembly, a gathered unit of Christians devoted themselves to. We gather to hear the word preached, read. We gather to observe the Lord's Supper. And we gather to pray. So it's not just, are you individually doing these things, which you can't even individually take the Lord's Supper. It's something that we do together. 
that we're devoted together as a church to do. And I want to focus on the call to be devoted to prayer as a church with one another. Now, if you ever want to make a group of Christians feel awkward, first of all, there's a, a huge list. But on that list is ask people about their prayer lives. And what you'll get is people being like, you know, I, I know, I should pray more. I don't pray enough. Every time I pray, I feel better. And it's just sort of this guilt fest. And we look around, and we're just sort of trying to give each other a pass. If you don't talk about it, I won't talk about it. Just give each other, you just let this one go. And it, it, it reveals, I mean, it's a reality. I mean, like, prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. It's hard to be consistent. It's a hard discipline and a habit to put into our lives. In a lot of ways, it's like exercise. Everybody knows they should do it. Everybody wants to make great resolutions to do it more. We all feel better when we do. We all joke that we don't do it enough. Then our arteries clog up and <laughs> our bodies are decaying. And we realize, oh, we actually really need this to live. We, we, we need to be healthy. And oftentimes, when people start to finally take their health seriously, they start to eat better, start to exercise, it's usually after a serious health crisis. There's a heart attack. There's some debilitating physical condition that they face. They come to grips with the reality that they need to take care of themselves. And prayers in the same way. Just as we don't want to wait for a heart attack to start being healthy, you don't want to wait for a spiritual crisis to start to take prayer seriously. You don't want to wait for the church to fall apart with all the attacks from the world, with all the division within the church, with all the things that are going on. You don't want that to hit a critical mass, and then we start to actually pray. This is something that we need to do together, and it is an urgent reality. N.T. Wright says this about prayer. He says, of course, prayer is often difficult. It wouldn't be worth much if it wasn't. God sometimes withdraws from us so that we can go looking for him more eagerly. It gets harder, not easier. But part of the trick is to recognize that the difficulties are themselves a sign that prayer matters, that the enemy knows if he can prevent you from being rooted and grounded in Christ and discovering the true wisdom in him, he will have neutralized your effectiveness. In other words, Satan does not want Four Oaks Midtown to pray together. He does not want that to happen. And we all want community. It's like a big buzzword in the church. I want community. I want to be connected. All these things. But where does community begin? It doesn't begin by staring at each other going, let's be community now. It is a byproduct of a common pursuit. It is a byproduct of pursuing devotion to the word, devotion to the table, and devotion to prayer. And it's very popular to post about, complain about, the church is this, the church is that, we're not doing this, all, all that stuff. Many, of the, Okay, fine, legitimate critiques. But if we're not willing to pray together, it rings hollow. It rings hollow unless we're actually willing together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, in love, to pray for one another, to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, to pray for the government officials, to pray for the nations. We have to do this together. We need this. And I think a lot of times what's difficult about prayer is 
we just sort of assume we know what it is. So I just want to go Christianity 101. I don't want to be complicated. I just want to go straight to the Word of God. What are we talking about when we talk about prayer? And that's what we want to cover today. We, we just want to talk about what is prayer? What is prayer? What does prayer do? And how do we do it? What is prayer? What does it do? And how do we do it? And hopefully, we can rediscover in a fresh light what the church has known for centuries, thousands of years, even longer than that if you consider the life of Israel, that God's people are called to pray. And in praying, God forms his people and uses his people for glorious ends. So let's look at the first question. What is prayer? What do we talk about when we talk about prayer? Here's a very simple definition. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is communication with God. But it's more than just saying words to God. Prayer is a communication that is a response to revelation. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Answering God, speaks about that, how God initiates conversation with us. He initiates communication by revealing who he is through his word, by showing us who he is through baptism and the Lord's Supper. He discloses his character, his judgments, his works in history to us. He starts, and then we in prayer respond to that revelation. So prayer is communication with God. And we know this instinctively. Communication is the bedrock of any relationship. And the goal of communication is communion. Communion is simply the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. Okay, that's what it means to commune with one another and with God. We're, we're, we're sharing. We're letting someone into our life and we're letting them, or we're, and they're letting us into their life. And the, the, the tool that we use is communication that leads to communion. In fact, the word communicate, the Latin root, literally means to make common. So when you communicate with somebody, what are you doing? They can't access your thoughts, your desires, your values. So what you do is you express those things through your words, and in expressing them through your words, you're sharing your life, your internal life. And then they, they complete that circuit of connection by sharing their internal life through words. So we're, God, when he communicates to us, is making common his life letting us know who he is, sharing his life with us. And when we commune with God, when we communicate to God, we are sharing our life with him, and that's the foundation of a relationship. God initiates, we respond. Which means that the ultimate gift of prayer and the goal of prayer is God himself. What do we get when we pray? We get God. We face him. We come into his presence. That's the ultimate goal. Answer to prayer is part of it, but primarily that interface with God, that is what we're after. Listen to Revelation 22. This is the very end of the Bible. We see the new creation. We see uh, God 
perfecting the world. This is the world as he intended, that he will redeem one day. This is the future we have to look forward to. And we see the ultimate goal of history is communion with God, is our worship and our enjoyment of fellowship with God himself. That's the goal. More so than being raised from the dead, more so than seeing all of our lost loved ones, our, 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 our fallen loved ones, more so than all these other things, world peace, great things. But the ultimate thing is we behold the Lamb of God. We are in God's presence. Listen to this in verses 3 to 5 of Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his, la- and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's a nice little picture of Jesus' divinity. It's the throne of God and the Lamb. And we see that, that the goal of all of history is that we will sit before the throne, and we will see his face. We will be in the presence of God, apart from sin, as we were meant to be. And prayer is how we can get a foretaste of that now. A a little crack of light, a glimpse of that reality in the present. That's why God wants us to pray according to his will. If you think about this, you have to know what God is like in order to know how to speak to them. You would never ask your husband if you could date another man. That would show that you have an ignorance about what marriage is and two, your husband. You would not ask something against his will, but you would in fact know this is what marriage is, this is what a relationship is, and I know my husband, and, and, and because of that, that would form and shape the way you communicate. So theology, knowledge of God, has to inform the way we speak to God. We're not communicating to a magical genie or an abstract idea. We are communicating with God, the true living God, the God who created all things, the Alpha, the Omega, the Lord of the universe. That is who we speak to. So our prayers should be motivated by a desire to have an audience with God, simply to be with God. You ever read the book of Job? That's that's like the book. Whenever there's a sermon series on Job, everyone's like, I don't know if I'm going to church. I don't know what. Job Job endures this horrible suffering. He loses his family. His his body is covered in boils. Intense physical, spiritual, emotional agony. And it's fascinating. The one request that resounds through the entire book of Job is that Job wants an audience with God. I want to talk to God. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. I just need an audience with God. And God shows up in a mighty whirlwind. And God shows up in this way because he knows what Job needs the most. Isn't an answer to all of his suffering. It's not even primarily deliverance from his suffering. Job needs to know God. You need to know who this God is. And Job's lament ends with worship, if you read the end of Job. He says, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. We can compile all the theological facts we want about God. Job's friends had tons 
of theological facts. But those sticks of theology won't catch fire until they are expressed and internalized in prayer. And you have to ask this. Prayer is a dangerous thing. Do you want to encounter the God of the whirlwind? Do you want to come into his presence? He's not a gentle grandpa who blesses football games and protects us when we travel. That's not his primary goal. He appears in a whirlwind. There is a revelation of the terrifying, awe-inspiring, loving God of this universe. That should inform our prayer. And that is why prayer is so transformative, because of who we're speaking to. That is why we pray. So prayer is communication with God that leads ultimately to communion with the one true holy God. So that's what prayer is. So what, what does prayer do? What does prayer actually do? Prayer lays hold of God's promises and calls him to act on our behalf. So God makes these promises that we see in his word. I will do these things. This is who I am. I'm consistent. I'm always faithful in my promises. Now, in prayer, I want you to ask me for the things I'm telling you I want to give you. We, by faith, grab onto it, those promises, and we say, God, act according to what you have said you will do and who you are. Listen to Hebrews 4.16. The author of Hebrews says, He's speaking about Jesus Christ as our priest because Jesus Christ is a man and a human. He knows what it's like to be us and he can sympathize and empathize with us. Because Jesus knows who we are, this is the conclusion the author of Hebrews says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a promise. God says when you pray, pray like you're supposed to be there. Like the blood of Christ really does cleanse you from all sin. That you can be before the throne of God because you're in Christ. Because his death on your behalf for your sins is sufficient, complete, done, bill paid. It's over. And you can go with absolute confidence in that promise. That you're going to get the mercy and grace you need right when you need it. In the right amount, perfectly calibrated to what God knows you need. This is a guarantee bought with the blood of Christ. And this is what this tells us. I want you to think about this. God wants to answer our prayers more than we want to ask him for, for him to answer our prayers. God wants us to ask him more than we want to ask him. This is God's idea for us to pray to him. Let's get a little more specific. How does prayer work? Or what, what does prayer specifically do in our lives? What are some things that God promises to do in prayer? We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. The first one is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It's going to be up on the screens if you want to look there. So what are some ways God promises to work in prayer? Well, first, God promises to structure our priorities as we pray. That when we learn prayer, when we practice prayer, he molds our hearts and structures what we prioritize in our life. He actually 
changes us as we pray. Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13 is the famous Lord's Prayer. And I want to just look at some of the components of this Lord's Prayer. Now, just a little bit of context. There's, there's really two things that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, the first thing is we need to be taught how to pray. Right? The disciples even ask him, teach us to pray. Like, that, that it, in other words, it's not something instinctual to us necessarily. That we need to be discipled in prayer. Left to our own devices, we often prioritize the wrong things in prayer. Or we, we approach God without a proper understanding of who he is. Or we simply don't know what to say. I mean, I think that's a lot of times we, we want to pray we have good intentions, but we're just like, I'm not, I just went through my list and I'm done. I don't know what else to say. And Jesus helps us. The Lord's Prayer gives us content and structure to our prayers. He says, hey, look, I know prayer is hard. I know this is not something you're used to. So here, here's a framework that shows some priorities I want you to have. And here's some content, some theology. Right? I, I want to disciple you. It's, it's a way of Christ condescending to us gently, compassionately to say, I want to teach you. I want to give you some words. I want to give you some language so that you can make prayer your own. These are our training wheels to practice with. It doesn't mean that you have to pray exactly the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's, it's just a help and a guide, but it's very insightful. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, here are some priorities that God gives us. It starts with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there's, there's that first priority, that prayer recognizes the fatherhood of God, but also the holiness of God. He's near to us, but he's also transcendent. So prayer starts with recognizing who we're praying to. There's a familiarity and a reverence. We're praying to God. So the beginning of our prayer should start by, by acknowledging who we're speaking to. And then there's an understanding of what God wills. So we know who God is, and then what does God will? He wills that your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we align ourselves with God's kingdom plan. He wants the gospel to spread. He wants the good works of the kingdom to spread into society, into our public life. He wants us to be lights in the world. So that shapes how we pray. Okay, that's my priority. It's not first about me and my desires and my dreams, but Lord, what do you want to do through me to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? What do you want to do through me to bring your gospel to the nations, to the people in my community? What, what, what work are you doing? Then it goes to what God provides. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us forgiveness as we forgive others. Right? So it's a recognition that God takes care of us. God provides. Okay, what are the things that I need? He wants to hear from you. And then, what are things I need forgiveness for? What are things I need to forgive other people for? And finally, we see what God promises. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's this call of recognizing there's hostility against us. There's false ideologies the world, the flesh, the devil are attacking us, taking us away from the authority of Scripture, making us wonder, does this verse really mean that? Is God really like that? All these things. And we go, Lord, you need, you need to help us. Help us 
so that Satan doesn't divide our church. Help us so that we don't become consumed and, and bite and attack each other, as Paul warns against in Galatians. Help us in our temptations. Help us to fight evil. It's a recognition of our dependence. So once you get through the Lord's Prayer, something happens. Your heart is now calibrated and tuned toward the priorities of God. And if you do that over and over again, you're going to be a different person. You're going to be different. You're going to see the world differently. God sets our priorities through prayer, and he changes us. But the second thing we see is that prayer must be meaningful. Right? It must be thoughtful. Right? right before Jesus teaches the Lord prayer, he warns his disciples, he says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like people who don't know God. Don't pray like pagans. And here's how pagans pray. They just say empty phrases. They act like prayer superstition. They just say things like they're magic spells. But he says, no, the Lord already knows what you need. So just speak plainly. This is not magic. Prayer is not superstition. You're not trying to control God. Speak meaningfully. What do you need? Speak thoughtfully. The Lord's Prayer gives us meaningful words to say to Him. It gives structure and priority to our prayers so that it can actually become a habit of our life. Just say what you need according to God's Word. And, and you don't have to heap up empty phrases and impress people and all this stuff. God is trying to make it easy for us to approach Him. So God shapes us through prayer. Another thing that God promises to do is He promises through prayer to help us in our trials. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling the church at Corinth about all these sufferings he's facing, all this affliction. He's facing death and, and all these attacks and, and troubles. But he has this amazing confidence. He says to them in verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is fascinating. This is Paul. This is God's sovereignty dude. Okay? He literally wrote the book on it. And he's sitting there. He has a high view of God's sovereignty. God delivered us before. He will do it again. Nothing can stop God's plan. If God has willed it, it's going to happen. Also, you all need to pray that he will deliver us. So he didn't see a war between the sovereignty of God and prayer. In fact, he sees it as what empowers God's will to come about. He doesn't just say it's going to happen because God willed it. And notice the reason. It's not because God, you know, is just like, I don't know. Just get some of your friends and I'll see if I really want to answer your prayer. He doesn't need more encouragement to answer our prayer. Why? Paul, this is Paul's reason why he wants more people to pray. So that when God answers it, there's more thanksgiving. God wants a bigger audience. I don't just want Paul to know that I delivered him. I want the, the report of this deliverance to go back to the church and they're all going to go as a massive church. Praise God, he did it. We were praying for this. And there's more and more exponential praise. So sometimes God wants a corporate gathering to pray, and he won't answer until we all pray. Not because he needs the encouragement, but because we need the encouragement. He wants more people to see that he answers prayer, that he helps his people 
in their trials. None of you would say, God is sovereign over my bank account, so I'm just going to quit my job. God is sovereign over my marriage, so I'm just not going to talk to my wife. Now, you would understand that God is sovereign and he works through means. He preserves your marriage through your actions. He preserves your bank account through your diligent work. All right, these are the normal ways that God acts. Prayer is the same way. There are some things God will not do unless you use the means that he's appointed, unless you ask him, unless we ask him. We pray because we know God is sovereign and he can do something about it. And if you look in, uh, in the Old Testament, God tells Israel, hey guys, go invade this, you know, go, go, go invade the land. You're going to take it. You're going to have victory over your enemies. When they attack you, you're going to have victory. Now go pick up your sword and fight. You can't just sit there in the camp. You have to go. And your going is trusting that I'm going to be there to deliver you when you need it. So prayer and action are not enemies. In fact, they go together. Paul makes plans. Paul writes letters. Paul gets on ships. Paul knows the schedules of the ships. Paul stays, he, he has a business making tents. And he prays and he prays and he prays. These are not opposed to each other. God, prayer helps us in our trials. And he wants us all to pray so that when God answers, we can all rejoice. Another thing that God promises is God, through prayer, helps us to express our pain express our pain. We're not going to read it out, but if you get a chance, read Psalm 88. I'm just going to summarize what it's about. It's, it's, a, it's a psalm of lament. It's the, one of the only psalms that doesn't end in a hopeful turn. The psalmist says that his life is full of troubles. He's near death. His friends have abandoned him. He wonders, he wonders if God can help. He says to God, can you work wonders for the dead? If I die, can you help me? Have you abandoned me? Who's going to worship you? What's the deal? And it ends with this, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, and my companions have become darkness. That's how he ends his prayer. It's words to express the deep grief of his heart. But here's the key in verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning, my prayer comes before you. We don't like feeling sadness or grief, and oftentimes we try to spiritualize our way out of it. But the Psalms open up wellsprings of emotion for us to express to God. And sometimes, like the Psalms in Psalm 88, sometimes prayer is in the midst of the darkness and the emptiness. You still offer up words to God, simply turning to God. You don't have to feel happy. You just have to face Him in the middle of all of it, morning after morning, going, God, I'm in darkness. I'm in darkness. I don't know. What's going on? And God, because the Spirit has inspired these psalms, understands that that's an experience we have. And he says, I want you to speak to me about it. Here's a guide. Here's a friend and the author of Psalm 88 to help you express your experience of the agonies of life. Carl Truman, one of my favorite authors, he, he asks this question about worship songs. He says, what can miserable Christians sing? Every song is about deliverance and all these things. What if you're just miserable? And he's, he's calling for songs of lament to be sung in the church. And I think there can be, there's an application to prayer. Prayers of lament are necessary too. 
praise or lament? How do we pray in the middle of our suffering? We need words for that too. And God's word has provided that for us. These are just a few things. There are many more in Scripture. But Scripture teaches us at least that prayer is going to form our priorities. It's a way to call God to help us in our trials. It's also a way to express and give words to the deep emotions and sadness and sorrows that we experience in life in a fallen world. Now I want to finish with a couple practical suggestions. How do we pray? How do we actually do this? Here's a couple ideas. First, come to our weekly prayer meeting. Because the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. And the best way to do that consistently is to do it with other people. There's no perfect time to pray. This will be inconvenient. It will cut into your plans. It will force you to reorient your schedule. All these things are true. The fruit of it may not be immediately evident. That's how the Christian life works. But it's an opportunity to devote ourselves to prayer. Second, keep things simple. Keep it simple. G.K. Chesterton once said, if anything is worth doing, it is worth doing badly. Don't try to be a prayer warrior day one. Start with a couple minutes and use the resources God has given you. Use the Lord's Prayer. Pray a psalm. Take a psalm. Write it out in your own words. If it gets to one of those passages where he's praying for his enemies to be slaughtered, you can skip that. Go to the next one. Use it. Get with the Apostle Paul. Paul, what do you pray for? What do you pray for for the church? How do you pray for people in power? How do you pray for the lost, the nations? Have Paul disciple you. Pray what he says. You can download the Daily Office app. It has a nice structured prayer. Every day, morning and evening, you can pray. Use these guides. Use the wisdom of the church. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. People, prayer has been hard for a long time, and people have been finding ways to help for a long time. So utilize the resources of the Word of God and utilize the resources that our church has. The Book of Common Prayer, Valley of Vision, all these things can help you. Be discipled by these people. Third, write your prayers. Write your prayers. Writing is thinking. You know, for me, it's hard to just pray because my, my brain, it's like as soon as you tune in to try to pray, you remember everything you have to do during the day. It's just like it just attacks you, right? And, and writing helps you just clarify your thoughts, get you centered. You might even need to just take 10 minutes to just let your brain declutter before you jump into prayer, whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to pace around or listen to music or something like that. But I find writing is helpful. Get it on paper because you can also see how God answers prayer. Right? You see, oh man, I was praying for that a year ago and it happened. Sometimes we just forget. We're in the middle of so many answered prayers. We just forget that we asked for them. That can build our faith. And writing not only reminds us of God's faithfulness in the past and encourages us about his faithfulness in the future, but writing clarifies our prayers. And as we clarify our prayers, it's going to change the way we pray. If anyone has spent time writing, if you write well, you learn to speak well. You learn to think clearly because you're training your mind in clarity and being concise. And finally, just tell God what's on your mind. Right? 
in our relationships, we, conversation is different depending on the context. If it's a serious conversation, you're thoughtful, you're rehearsed, you talk through it. If, you're giving, uh, if it's just informal, you're just talking about your day, depending on who you're talking to, your child. Or, you are, the, the, the different circumstances and relationships in our life have different kinds of conversation. I think it's the same way with God. We don't always have to pray the same way. So sometimes you write clear prayers, or sometimes you just tell God what's on your mind. You just live life with God, that he's present with you. This is kind of like common romantic comedy advice, right? Just tell how you feel, man. Just tell how you feel. There's some wisdom to that. Paul Washer, he's a great preacher, he, he's, he's, he talks about this. He says that there's prayer with your boots on. That's that, that diligent intercessory, let's pray, let's, uh, let's do this, let's structure it, let's think through it. And he talks about also balancing that with prayer with your boots off. And he says this, he, he asks people, have you ever just talked to God as you watched the snow fall? I love that image. You're just walking in the snow and you just talk to God like, oh God, look at that snow. It's amazing. And you talk to him as your father. Somebody wants to hear from you. Just relating to him. God already knows what's on your mind. I mean, it's, it's not like he doesn't, you know, it's, it's not like he can't see through whatever performance we have. But he wants to relate to us. You know? I, I see parents with their young kids. A lot of times, parents already know what their kids need. They don't need to, like, they're, they're not seeking for information from their kids. But what do they do? It's like, use your words, tell me. Oh, yeah, interesting, right? It's their way of establishing that bond and that relationship. And I think there is a sense of that where it's just like, you just, through your day, do you just tell God what's on your mind and speak to him as a friend, speak to him as a father? We're not just soldiers, we're children. We're children. I think this is actually might be the most difficult for many of us. To just come to God as you are and not where you think you should be this far into your Christian life. Come to God as who you actually are and tell him what's on your mind. Sometimes that's the best way to just start. Sometimes that's just the way that kindles our heart and grows our affection for the Lord. So prayer is communion with God through communication with God. And we grab a hold of the promises he's laid out in the word of God. But we can't lay hold of them unless we actually pray consistently, centered around his word. And I would argue, together. As a church, they devoted themselves to prayer. Us, Four Oaks Midtown. Not just an individual collection of Christians with their own spiritual eyes coming to this event, this country club. But there's a we. There's things in our community. There's real people in our church that are suffering. There's real people in our church that need encouragement. That's our responsibility. There are many perversions of the gospel that treat God like a vending machine to fulfill our dreams. There are many name it and claim it prosperity, gospel, heresies. But a rejection of a lie must not come at the expense of embracing a truth. God wants to answer our prayers. God hears us. And oftentimes we have not because we ask not. This is why prosperity gospel people can get so much traction. Because they have verses, they just misinterpret them. But we want to interpret them rightly, not erase them from the Bible. Jesus calls us to come before him with confidence 
that he will answer. He will give us what we need when we need it. That he cares. Jesus Christ answers prayers. But often he will not answer until we first ask. Let's pray together. Our Father, we confess our prayerlessness. We confess that there are so many things that you promised to us, so many things that you want to do, and and we just have been negligent of this. But we know that you're gracious. We know that you don't condemn us, that you're gracious and merciful toward us, and you call us as your children to tug on your sleeve, to come before your throne, to ask you with confidence to receive all that you have promised us in Christ. And we pray that you would build us into a church that's devoted to your word, devoted to your table, and devoted to prayer. That these would be the building blocks. That we would not be distracted by all the cultural fads of the world. That these things that have been the bedrock of the church through its entire existence would be the bedrock of our lives. And Lord, we know that you love to condescend. You love to come down to our level and speak with us through your word and to hear from us through our words. Help us to have a deep trust in the sufficiency of Christ that we do have access to the Father. And Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for all that you have promised us in the gospel and we just want all of it. We want all you have to give, Lord. Give us the strength pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.